This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Does feel like nature is kind of waking up at this time of year, doesn't it? Oh, remember last, was it last week or the week before we talked about spiders? I haven't been able to get that spider conversation out of my head, especially since I was cleaning the garage last weekend and I came across uh, more than one type of spider more than one really large spider of which I just swept them out of the garage. I did not do anything to harm them because I kept remembering our fantastic spider fanatic that we had from SFU teaching us about how they're not dangerous. Don't hurt them. They're fine. So I was was important to remember that. Also, same thing, important to remember when we're talking about bees. Like, yes, they sting us sometimes and maybe we try to chase them out of the house. In fact, I chased three of them out of the house over the weekend because I had all the windows open. But bees are absolutely critical and crucial to a lot of different functions in nature. But we also know their population is declining and they need our help. Researchers at York University want people to understand those threats so that we can all work to help protect them. To talk more about that, we're joined by Sheila Arcola, who's an uh, assistant professor of environmental studies at York University. Sheila, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Do you think that people are understanding the threat that bees are under right now? Um, Actually, I don't, (laughs) to be honest. I think people are very concerned about bees and they know it's an important issue, but I don't think people really understand how complex the problem is. How complex is it then? Tell us a bit more about it. So in Canada, we have over 850 different species of bees. And for most of them, we don't even know how well they're doing. We don't know if they're remaining common, if they're in decline. Uh, For the bumblebees, which is only about 42 species out of that 855, we have the best information. And from those, we know that about one in four are at risk of extinction. So that means we have a lot of different things going on. Uh, Some species are in decline, some aren't. Some are in decline in places where they wouldn't be experiencing habitat loss, so maybe in the boreal forest. Um, Some might be more susceptible to pesticide use, but it really depends on the species and it depends on where it is. Okay, and Um, so I think we kind of oversimplify things to think about pesticides as bad as think about the honeybee as something that needs to be saved. Yeah, that's what I was wondering too. Like, do we know what's causing this or is it a variety of causes that depends on the type of bee? Um, It's a variety of causes for the bumblebees that we know the best. Um, we've seen declines such as the western bumblebee and the west coast, which is Bombus oxentalis, is found there in BC, and the rusty patch bumblebee out in eastern Canada. Um, it looks like disease is probably the most, um, the biggest threat to those species. Specifically, um, we use managed bees for agriculture, and it seems like our managed bees are spreading diseases to our wild bees, which is causing massive die-offs. And what can we do to prevent that? Well, one of the biggest things is just for people to understand that um, we need to to conserve our wild bees and not worry too much about our managed bees. So one of the things when people say like, oh, let's save the bees, let's get a honey beehive in our backyard, that actually doesn't make sense. It's kind of the same as putting a whole bunch of, say, um, Asian carp into your local lake to save the fish. It doesn't make any sense. It's not going to save the biodiversity. It's just adding... Uh, non-native species into a system. Right, but don't so the European those... honeybee is a non-native species that's managed by humans to uh, produce honey. Right, but don't those managed bees provide some critical services? They pollinate crops, right? They're taken to farms to do all that kind of work. 
Yeah, they're probably really important in areas where there's not a lot of good habitat to have wild bees do the work. Uh, so specifically in um, California, where they have the almond groves, you really need honeybees to come in there and do a lot of the pollination. But a lot of studies show that native bees are the ones that are doing our, that are doing a lot of the work. And some crops, like blueberry, require buzz pollination, with honey, which honeybees can't even do. So in those cases, we need different types of bees to do the pollination. So when you bring in a honeybee colony, it might be um, sort of a quick fix, but really if we want to keep our food system sustainable, we want to keep as many of our native species around as possible. So how do we do this then? How do we boost the wild bee population? Making sure that we have lots of native habitat, so setting aside areas for wildflowers, for nesting habitat like sticks and rotting logs and you know, messy things um, is one way. Making sure that we're using integrated pest management, so only using pesticides when we really need to or going pesticide-free wherever possible. Um, again, really thinking about managed bees as maybe competitors or sources of disease for our wild bees, so only using those when absolutely needed. And focusing on conserving our biodiversity and wildlife as a whole, so trying to keep our ecosystems intact um, as much as we can as we continue to you know, grow our human population in different places. Right. Sheila, is this kind of work being done elsewhere? Um, sorry, uh, conservation. Sorry, like yeah, like the building of the wild bee kind of population. Yeah. Is this being done and is it successful? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's great systems, out in, great programs out in the U.S. that help farmers, train farmers to be more ecologically um, inclined. Um, so teaching them how to incorporate native habitat into their farms as well. Uh, we have a company called Alice Alternative, it's not a company, it's an NGO, um, Alternative Land Use Service in Canada, and they provide incentives for farmers to incorporate native habitat into their, their farms. And in the city of Toronto, we just passed our, our pollinator uh, protection strategy, which really focuses on conserving native bees and giving residents native plants and having people who manage lands in the city use native native plants wherever possible and thinking about native bee populations wherever possible. So then what do you think of the idea then of urban beekeeping, which you're right, has become very popular? Yeah, I think um, cities need to, to take a step back from that and really think about why you're doing that. If you're promoting beekeeping, what you're promoting is um, for someone to have a hobby, to produce their own honey, and to feel good about themselves, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be saving the bees in that in that area. Um, in order to really think about conserving bees, we need to think about cities as maybe places where bees can be protected from diseases, from managed bees, or protected from pesticide use, which is so rampant in agricultural areas. The cities can actually be a haven for our native bee diversity, and we need to take that seriously. Sheila, I find this so interesting because, like, what you're saying might not make you very popular with a lot of beekeeping no. associations. <laughs> you, you probably know that, right? It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so what do but they that say? Being said, I do, I do really value um, beekeepers who are very knowledgeable and take their, uh, their profession seriously and worry about these things as well. Is there a way to balance those two groups? I think so. Um, definitely. I mean, we're, we're not going to escape honey beekeeping at this point. I mean, it's entrenched in a lot of what we do here in Canada. But being really smart about using honeybees when you need to and being quick to deal with diseases as they pop up and having that really good training where people understand what a big responsibility it is to have a bee beehive, you know. It's not the kind of thing that you can just put in your backyard and, you know, leave alone for the whole summer. You need to be there every day and should be tracking and make sure you're not doing any harm. 
So interesting. All right, Sheila, thanks so much for explaining. I learned so much talking to you today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That is Sheila Call, who's an assistant professor of environmental studies at York University.